Welcome to Veterans in Academics. This podcast highlights people and topics where the veteran experience and academia overlap. Join your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, in this groundbreaking content. Each week, we explore new stories, topics for you. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Veterans and Academics. I'm your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, and today we are joined by our very special guest, Honorable Dr. Larry Wallace. Dr. Wallace, welcome to the show. I appreciate you uh, inviting me. Looking forward to the conversation. By all means, call me Larry. Absolutely, sir. Okay. So, Larry, um, we've got a lot to talk about today. But let's get started with you telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, sir. Uh, Adopted at birth. My father was drafted for Vietnam here in Texas. Uh, Grew up. uh, Didn't do that well in in, in high school. Uh, Tried college for a little bit. Ended up dropping out of that, going into the military, the Army, as a human resources person. Uh, Did enlisted time. Got out ROTC. Did drill sergeant school. Got commissioned. Went overseas double deployments, 2007, 2010, worked with NATO, worked with special operations, a lot of different things, retired out 2017, moved back here to uh, Texas uh, and ended up somehow getting into politics, served on council for for, uh, about nine months before I ran for mayor. Uh, My term here in mayor ends in November of this year and looking where I can continue to give my services at. So that's hopefully a, a summary. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. And I want to point out to the listeners that, you know, in our intro, we always talk about uh, veterans and academics and we highlight their work in academics and beyond. And today we definitely have a beyond case because uh, Dr. Wallace has, you know, he's done all the research. He has defended a dissertation in business and leadership. He's, he's written a book. However, uh, we also get to add to all these things he's done, but he's a mayor and you're our first mayor on the show. So that's exciting. <laughs> and, and let's explain to everyone, you're in Texas and you're located close to Austin. So for a little orientation. So, yes, I, uh, I am roughly about 13 miles outside of Austin going towards Houston. Uh, my population uh, with this 2020 census is about... 15,000 people that I have actually supporting about 40,000. We grew from the last decade, 186.5%, wow. uh, 56% Hispanic, 25% African-American. So everybody in my city is underserved, underrepresented in some form or fashion. So that, that is my daily life is advocating for everyone. Awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. And I know Texas as a whole is just growing uh, leaps and bounds. I think, you know, everybody from California is leaving <laughs> <laughs> for those taxes, but that, that's for another podcast. So, so Larry, so your time in, you know, you've, you've obviously accomplished a lot and, um, you, you know, you, everything you've done, it, it seems like you've done it really well, but your time in higher education, you know, that took you to getting a terminal degree and, and successfully completing that so with all of your military experience, your you know, long career military experience and your time in higher education, 
what is something that you see that veterans in higher education are currently doing well? Uh, I would say currently doing well, and, and some of this information comes from, you know, I, I volunteered for about nine months at UT University of Texas System Administration as their director of veteran uh, support and leadership program. So oversaw and supported all 15 campuses for all things veteran. Um, and then serving with the Texas Veterans Commission, I was on the board, for, uh, the advisory committee um, for their employment and training. Uh, advisory committee and now serve as the vice chair for the veteran services uh, uh, advisory committee to the actual board. Um, so what I'm going to say is going to probably come from a lot of different areas of my involvement. What we've seen successfully is now college is kind of serving as a additional transition period for a lot of service members that don't still do not know where they kind of fit in from a lot of the cookie cutter uh, transition programs. Um, even though you may be an MP or you may be, you know, an infantry person, who you work with, where you work with, all those are still unique experiences that don't necessarily get translated on a resume. So individuals are now using uh, college to help further establish that self-identification outside of the uniform, right? Um, individuals are also trying to uh, find ways to, to leverage their experience so they're not wasting their benefits as much as some of us probably have in previous years, just getting the traditional degree. Most people are starting to realize I need to take advantages of internships, apprenticeships, co-ops, and have those included into my degree plan because it's permittable, unlike a lot of other individuals except nursing and so forth where that's a that's a norm teachers that's a norm right but service members are starting to realize hey i'm able to do that too so let me speak up and start taking advantage of that uh also seeing a lot of individuals going back now more into how do i have entrepreneurship aspects small business operations included into my degree uh, because I know if I really want to continue to climb that ladder, I'm going to go more behind of a desk and leading from a desk than just staying in the front lines. So I, I see a lot of that. A lot of, a lot of that is now starting to translate and being very successful in individuals being a little bit more specific and targeted in the type of education pursuits they have. I love that answer. I love that answer. And I couldn't agree more with the, the aspect of so many campuses really were the, the grease for the transition wheel, you know, uh, and there's a big go, go between it. And oftentimes people, they, they talk about the out processing in the military and the, the lack of those things that provide. But honestly, uh, you know, they, they, their job is to train us and to, to keep us in the fight. But uh, we're a lost investment if they're spending a bunch of money on us getting out. And so college campuses really are filling that void. And I also like that you pointed out that, you know, now, and I would agree more so now than ever, uh, veterans are realizing that, hey, I, I don't have to just be in the classroom. I've got all these other skills. I can go ahead and start doing internships and start work studies and this type of stuff and, and, and be very successful at it. And and, you know, and also the entrepreneurial aspect. Uh, mm. I see program, you know, Bunker Labs is popping up and all these other programs where people can augment or, or you know, add to their degree. And um, 
You know, sometimes, Larry, I think, too, entrepreneurship is attractive to veterans because we've been told what to do for so long. (laughs) (laughs) But somebody's like, no, forget it. I'm going to I'm going to be my own boss, you know. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. So now with with your same experience or with, with all your same knowledge, what would you say is there's that veterans could do better in higher education? I think a lot of veterans have this this concept, as I did when when I went got out and I went to the University of Texas at Arlington, and you know I, I went there even on academic probation, right? Uh, it was I'm here to go to class. Uh, plus, I don't necessarily want to be having tutors, right, in areas of deficiency. And so there's still just like first generation students and and individuals coming from high school to college, there's still a high uh, turnover rate for first year, first semester uh, veterans or service members. Um, Getting connected, utilizing the resources that are on the campus and saying, hey, and having a mentality of, look, if I'm going to use my benefits, I'm not going to fail this class because I don't want to have to pay for it right out of pocket. Right. And, and, and just getting it done, but also you have to get acclimated using the campus environment. If you're going to use it, especially as an extension of your transition process, then also use it as a way to get acclimated to your new environment, right? Yes, you're going to the class. You may not want to talk to the people, but use that additional year, two years, three, four years, whatever it may be to start understanding how the new environment engages, operates and so forth. So you can start getting comfortable with that. You see a lot of times veterans only wanna go into the veteran safe spaces uh, and and don't necessarily wanna learn how they need to start putting people in boxes of experience. The person doesn't talk is the boss that doesn't thinks they're probably too good for everybody, right? Right, uh, right. The person, the person that talks too much or has their own ideas is the person that maybe the brown nose or whatever it is. Start learning here before you go into the work environment and start creating high turnover of yourself on a resume, which is almost similar to an evaluation that has high turnover, uh, makes it look as if you're not someone I want to promote or I want on the team. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think you're so right. It's, it's, I find it interesting that uh, veterans will all, all, while we're still have the uniform on, we will go to each other and help each other out. But as soon as you get onto a campus, uh, there's a large population that's just like, okay, I don't want tutoring. I don't want help. Uh, You know, and so there's something that magical kind of happens (laughs) in between there and, and you're right, you're, people are doing a disservice to themselves. I mean, it's great that campuses have these spaces. However, if somebody is going to get into their comfort zone and only come to these spaces and only live out their glory days of when they were in, they're never really going to have that transition, right? And, and that's just a huge disservice to themselves. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I've seen that as well. You know, one of the things you talked about the book uh, that I co-authored with, with, with my boss out of my last unit, um, and in it, we highlight that there's 200,000 people transitioning every year. That means 200,000 transition the year before, the year before that, the year before right. that, right? Uh, and so you're not only just competing with the people you transitioned out with, but all the previous years, 
plus those that are looking for better jobs, plus the civilians that are looking for better jobs. Right. And how are you getting acclimated, especially terminology, vernacular? How are you, as I say in the book, how are you correlating, understanding where your experience is and, and, and a way of operating aligns in either aligns in comparison or differentiation of the environments you want to go to? So then you can actually translate in a manner that is understood by the other people. And that's why that's key is 80% of the population has no affiliation or understanding about the military. You can look at any, the 2018 or future reports of transition from the military that the Department of Defense sends out. It will tell you when you talk about veterans and, and spouses and dependents, we only comprise 20% of the U.S. population that understands anything about the military. Wow. Wow. I mean, anytime you quantify stuff like that, it's really eye-opening, you know? It's really, really eye-opening. So, Larry, let's, let's talk about, you obviously had a, a, a nice long career in the Army. When, when you were a young man, what excuse me, younger man, Uh, you're still a young man, but um, what motivated you to join the army at that time? And then what did you do while you're in? I I know you had several jobs, but talk us through some of your experience while while you're in the military. Right. You you know, I come from a family of uh, uh, community leaders, uh, both in church and healthcare and so forth. Um, And you know, college just, I just wasn't mentally ready and prepared for it, as I told you. Uh, and I, I tried doing the regular job working at a, at a bait, uh, at a box factory called Bates Container, 12-hour shifts working and so forth. And uh, it, it really came down to my dad said, you dropped out of college. Yes, I did. He said, all right, well, you need to do something other than just sitting around here. And I got four options for you. Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? Uh, so I, I went in, and as I was in, it just became more of realizing the only thing people knew, especially when you're enlisted, is your last name. It's not first names, like officer side. Right. So I started creating my own identity outside of the shadow that I grew up in of the family name and, and, and their involvement in community and expectations. Uh, so it became more of, what does Wallace stand for? And when I leave, when another Wallace comes to that unit, what are they going to think about that person? Like, I hope this Wallace is like the other Wallace, right? right. Um, and so that's kind of what drove me a lot in, in the military. Plus the model back then was be all that you can be. And I kind of really took that seriously, especially right. when my advanced instructor was like, yeah, you can make staff sergeant in four years if you're high speed, but, which I did. It was like, it was challenging. Awesome. It gave me those types of challenges of these people don't know me other than the work I put in. Um, So as you said, I I did enlisted human resources down at Fort Jackson, South Carolina was uh, stationed over in Hawaii uh, where I served as a specialist as E4 as the promotion board uh, non-commissioned officer in charge for 25th 5D in Johnston Island. Um, So I did that customer service uh, NCLIC for 25th uh, and then I got out, went into the reserves. I did drill sergeant school while also doing ROTC at University of Texas at Arlington. 
when okay. I got commissioned, I did, uh, I was in charge of the drill sergeant candidate battery battery for mid city. So the Hearst, Ulysses, Bedford, Dallas, Fort Worth area. Um, so, and then I went back on active duty deployed, uh, uh, as a postal platoon leader, uh, in charge of all of Southern Iraq. And then I redeployed with the, uh, 172nd infantry brigade, uh, there I was a battle captain, a funds operating officer, the battalion S1, the, uh, uh, the logistics, the uh, administrative and logistics commander and a slew of other things. Uh, and then I went to NATO where I served as a deputy G2, G3 for operations and intelligence, went to go take command of, of a, uh, a national support element supporting the land and the uh, air commands within, okay. within NATO. And went from there to uh, special operations, uh, Army Special Operations Aviation Command. I was their last human resources and plans and operations division chief. Went over to create their secretary of general staff position in, uh, and then concurrently served as the uh, alternate aide-de-camp to our general as well as the executive officer and then retired out as a captain, non-special operator, uh, as, as the deputy chief of staff. Wow. Wow. So, so a, a couple things here. <laughs> so man, I, that, that, that's, that's crazy. That's, a, that's awesome to hear about. So I, a few things come to mind. I mean, you are moving locations, but you're also, you know, outside of what you've done in the civilian sector and you've worked yourself up, you did that in the military. You went in, enlisted, and came out an officer, uh, and had a whole slew of, of positions where it sounds like you were maneuvering, maneuvering to always go a step up, always go a step up. So let me ask you, just just with all this, I'm curious if you could, what's your favorite? What was your favorite <laughs> thing that you did, or, or, or your top two? The, the 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 favorite, probably the best job I've ever had was as a drill sergeant right really? okay uh honestly uh and, and probably before the changes even happened while while i was still on the show there and it was because your job was not necessarily to be considered favored or liked the, the job was to prepare people for the unknown and sometimes that meant they had to hate you in order for them to come to bond with the, everybody else as a as, as an actual squad leader, platoon leader, uh, commander, right? Um, you're, you're supposed to all the time really be building up and never intentionally sometimes having to tear down to build up for the unknown, right? Um, so in that space, it was, I don't necessarily have to worry about how I'm saying it or the way I'm doing it because the intention is to develop the person. So if they end up in combat overseas, they're not sitting there doubting themselves they're not sitting there doubting their leader uh they know what needs to be done they know how to move they know you know uh okay. that was probably one of the, the the differences out of all the different positions i've had where you have to be the good cop bad cop and so forth that job <laughs> right. is you're all the cops all right right right. <laughs> right wow fascinating fascinating i love that answer and man yeah i, I just to hear you say so when I think about my drill instructors, there are people that still, uh, you know, 20 years later make me scared. 
<laughs> but but you're right. It's it's like you've got to be all those things, right? You've got to be all those things, and you've got to be all those things with the intention of helping someone, as you said, literally get through the unknown. You know, mm-hmm. we that's the that's the thing about warfare is we have the past to build on, but uh, it's hard to predict what that future is going to be. You know, exactly. exactly. Wow. Okay. So then then tell us about you, you went from enlisted to officer, and then when you were transitioning out, like what, what was that for you? And, um, you know, what was your next steps after leaving the army? You know, my transition was similar to everybody else, except for those in very unique key types of professions, right? Um, you're, you're in the medical space, you're uh, you're an aviator and so forth, right? You might be an MP person. So there's certain areas you can directly go to. As a human resources person, you can go into a slew of locations and I don't necessarily know what industry and, and those types of things. You're, you're coming from a space of just put me in the game, coach. I can help us win, right? right? right. Uh, and everybody else is like, no, but you need to tell me exactly what position you want to play, what quarter you want to play in and what plays you want to do, right? You're like, right. Well, <laughs> um, just put me in, we'll figure it out, right? Um, and, and so I was like a lot of other people where I had all this experience. I think one of the pieces which I really highlight in the book and even when I'm talking with others is we get so focused on rank. And because I was a junior officer, a lot of people didn't give me the opportunities that I felt I could do. And that's one reason I, I truly give my respect and support to Major General Retired Tony Kukolo, who was my vice chancellor, my boss at the University of Texas System Administration, because I went to him and said, look, I see you have this position. I think I'd be great for it. He said, we're not hiring right now. I definitely could use the help. Uh, and he basically said, you know, based upon your experience, you, you, you seem to know all the different spaces uh, and you've used. 2017 to 2018, I, I used all the Institute for Veterans and Military Families courses. I went to all the entrepreneurship stuff. Um, I, I took every other veteran program there was out there because I had this intention that, and probably from my mother, where she says, it's a military thing, right? And I'm like, it's not a military thing. It's a business thing, or it's, it, it, it's, it's in other spaces. So I think I intentionally knew I needed to get civilian certifications and credentials that backed up my military experience for that 80% of the population that would probably say, well, that's a military thing. The way you're thinking military decision-making process, that's military. No, that's, that's you know, that's SWOT analysis and that's Lean Six Sigma and, and so forth, right? It, there's no difference. The way we go about it is a little bit different, but the designed outcome is the same, right? And so I did those types of courses. And uh, I basically said to General Kukolo, he's like, look, I don't want to waste your time one day a week. I said, that's great. I'll be here five days a week. Uh, and, and that's how I really started to really see what I believed in myself, that other people try to do these cookie cutter resumes for me and so forth. Right. I started to see that I can actually do this job based upon all the experiences being in the room with all those generals and so forth and hearing those conversations and the way they think I was where I thought I was and not where people wanted to put me based upon titles, 
in rank. Right, right. Wow. So interesting. I think this is kind of going back to what I mentioned about vets wanting to, to be entrepreneurs. And it's like, it sounds to me like in that role, you were an intrapreneur because you had now had the confidence and you understood I shouldn't listen to all these other people, but I need to do what I know is going to be best for me and put these skills. And of course, there's no other expert but you. And, and you realize that. And, uh, and that's amazing and, and beautiful because it works for you, right? <laughs> Most definitely. I think the wife would have liked a, a paycheck coming in for that year or so. But again, you know, what's your skin in the game? Uh, the first job you take, uh, and we say this in the book, the first job you take solidifies to people the, the, the value of the service you did. And sometimes you may have to take a smaller job with a smaller pay that has a higher title to start from a new platform as that first job starting your civilian career. And these are the types of things you learn by going and pursuing those certifications, that, that education to help bridge what you know. Uh, Admiral uh, uh, Admiral Inman, um, you know, who worked with uh, uh, NASA and um, I forget the other entity, the NSA, even said this too, and several other generals were like, look, I might have been in charge of all these different divisions and sections and so forth, but when I came out, I don't know profit and loss. I don't know cash balance. I don't know these things. So I have to still go get an education to help me know where my subject matter of expertise really is and where it's not and where I need to fill the gap to be able to go into the position I know I can lead in. And that way I don't have a, a controller person saying, you're my boss and you don't know this stuff because that's how it is in the civilian side. Right, right, absolutely. Man, such good points, such good points. So um, since, since you've brought it up a couple times, let's take part of this and, and talk directly about your book because you know, you're peppering in this great advice from the book. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to write that and, and just give us an overview? Yeah, so what inspired me to write it was more or less my, my former boss said, hey, Larry, uh, I'm thinking about this uh, idea of writing a transition book. Uh, he's more on uh, still close to government, um, you know, selling uh, UAVs and so forth. And I'm here in this veteran space, more on the community service side of it and so forth. He said, you know, uh, let's work together and put a book out there that could hopefully give some good gold nuggets. Not speaking as an area of subject matter expertise where most books say, this is how I got here. If you follow me, this is what's going to happen. Right. Ours was more on an aspect of, hey, when you're doing your Zooms and whatnot, think of Murphy's Law. Whatever can happen will probably happen, so prep up for that. Uh, and, and don't go in wearing the competition's colors and logos and stuff. A lot of those small things that I wish I would have known and that probably could have jacked me up. In uh, the book is called Preparing for Financial Combat. Most people think it's about how to manage your money, but it's more of a psychological approach of, the, the, the pre preparation you do and how early on you start, especially with the resume and building a network, uh, starting to understand how your experiences correlate to the four or five different industries you wanna go to 
So you can start creating your civilian professional timeline like we have in the military of if I take this job, it leads to this for this many years, but I need to get this education or I need to get this experience or I need to do this preparatory job that I really don't want to do that will lead to this position. So that book is really more of how do you start to do these things you're used to in the military, creating it now when you don't have anybody to actually hand walk you. Um, more aha moments in your decisions, the way you make your decisions determine your financial viability and sustainability. Wow. Wow. That's great. And, you know, like you've said, the cookie cutter, uh, the cookie cutter, anything doesn't work, right? But it definitely does not work for, for veterans in, in transitioning spaces. And I like, I like another aspect about your book is you're directly talking about the financial aspect. Uh, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of miscommunication or a lot of attention that we don't have when it comes to these little idiosyncrasies like you're talking about, you know? And yeah, I think there are so many things we can, we can get that people in the cookie cutter space aren't going to tell you, you know, like you, you mentioned, you know, don't, don't wear the other uh, team's colors there. And, uh, and, you know, have the right uh, mindset going in. I mean, these, these are huge. These are very big. So you, you transition, uh, you, you start working in higher education, you start working on your doctorate, you're, you publish this book. Let's, uh, let's go into how, so we're going to go into the beyond section. Uh, <laughs> how, how did you, what came about uh, or what was the motivation? What was the spark of interest where you were like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get into government. You mentioned city council before, and then, you know, eventually uh, work my way into being a mayor. Right. What, what was happening? <laughs> so uh, it was more or less of a thing in the military. You have policies, doctrine, structure. It's easy to come to a new unit especially when you already know if you're from in the Air Force, how the Air Force operates, or if you're in the Navy, how the Navy operates, or if you're in the Army, how the Army operates. Now you just need to get the SOPs, the standard operating procedures for that unit, right? And so you already have a base to work from. You already know your area of specialty. So it gives you some time to learn the organization to really, truly succeed and be an added uh, plus, uh, you know, impactor. Well, when you get out, and when I got out and I brought my wife and my kids here, I don't know anything about the city. I don't know anything about the surrounding area. I didn't grow up here either. Um, so it was more of an aspect of, okay, I brought the wife and the kids here. I don't want to hear from them <laughs> about bringing them <laughs> here and, and, and they don't like it or whatever it is. And the only way to truly understand what's going on and not be in the peanut gallery and not be another voice that is talking about things. A lot of the people that I network with said planning and zoning is the place to go. If you want to know what's coming into the city, how the city's designed and developed, planning and zoning is where you want to go. So I applied to serve on planning and zoning. And I did that for about eight months. And I was like, this is not cutting it. I, I feel like I can do more. I'm like, I'm reading this stuff. It's great. It's interesting. But when I say, hey, do, do y'all need me to go to a ribbon cutting ceremony? Do y'all need to go this? Like, nope, nope. That's, that's not what you do. I'm like, 
well, I feel like I can do a whole lot more. A position opened up for running for city council, so I decided to run for that, uh, and I ended up winning. In almost overnight, it felt like being a executive officer all over again in the military. Okay. So like, right. I right. can do this. I like this. I can. What's your issue? Okay, cool. Who do I need to talk to? And I can go talk and figure it out and so forth. Our mayor, who was the first Hispanic female, uh, termed out. And so it was an open vacancy. And I was nine months into my seat on city council. And basically, I ran for mayor because, as I told you, the growth that's happening in our city. Right. And if I was really, truly trying to be involved and not trying to be someone that's trying to build a resume to be able to launch to another seat, right? then would I be doing a disservice without by not rendering at least my experiences of leadership? I don't necessarily know the job, but I do have contacts. Uh, I have no issue leveraging a position. These things that we learned from the military, right? And looking and saying, um, if I don't do that and I sit back and someone goes in a seat and it may not shift the city in the way it needs to go to not miss out on this time of growth there's nothing I can say because I'd be a hypocrite and so that's why I ended up deciding to go ahead and run and uh fortunately I ended up getting elected in and the next thing you know they said well congratulations to the seat now you have COVID now you have threats of violence and now you have a winter storm right welcome (laughs) and so and so I would say with this the the what what I felt were some of my personal strengths and leadership ended up being something that really helped lead and secure uh, and keep people safe, not just in my city, but in our in our region, because it was leading that really helped fill the gaps where a lot of government systems and a lot of day to day operations just didn't necessarily have that gumption just to what needs to be done who do I need to talk to let's get it done mentality right right wow well and you got elected your first your first try right yes yes sir that's amazing that's something you don't hear very often you know (laughs) usually people that's 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 awesome that's awesome I love it absolutely love it well let me ask you in this role you know, you're with your time in the military and with your, your doctorate in business. I think you probably are well positioned to take on some of these economic, you know, infrastructure issues and, and something that I could see arising with a town. Um, how do you feel you pull off, pull from your academic experience and how do you feel you pull from your military exp- experience to serve the people that, that live in your area? I think it's like, any other type of command and staff meeting or or after after action review or even rock drills, right? Getting all the information and then being able to parcel out uh, the meaningful stuff and make sure people are staying on track with what the topic or what the issue or what the new issue may be. Uh, Also being able to use a position to say who's not at the table that needs to be at the table and and being able to say "It, it is my job to bring them to the table. Uh, When it comes to the economic, there's so much stuff I didn't know. The first three months in the seat as mayor, I went around and said, 
that's the that's an organization that sounds like I should know about them. Who's the leader there? Schedule a meeting and saying, all right, it's nice to meet you. What do you do? What do I need to expect from you? And what do I hold you accountable for? Now you're going into my phone. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Right. right? Um, and, and so when it comes to economic aspects of it, what has helped me as a business person is being able, again, to translate my way of operating, our way of operating for the military to words that make sense to the non-military people. So instead of, again, saying okay. MDMP, military decision-making process, I'll say, all right, so how are you using Porter's Five Forces? What is the SWOT analysis? How, you know, how can we be uh, lean in this operation? How do we mitigate waste? You know, I'm using those terminologies when we do that naturally in the military, but we call it different things. And, right. and using that plus the aspect of, uh, of, of just leading and taking charge and saying, hey, I know we've been here. Uh, we're about to have a meeting. I ain't got to, I don't have 90 minutes just to, to pat each other on the back and talk about all the great things or else we wouldn't be needing this meeting. Right. Right. So, right. 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 So yeah, you can, you can bring a, a dose of reality to the situation. Right. And, and mm -hmm. not just right. Get kind of further the, the political back paths and, and that, that that I know occur. I know occur. I've never said your position, <laughs> but I know occur. <laughs> so, excellent. So, so Larry, I, I totally want to be um, mindful of our time, but can you tell the listeners about anything, any projects that you've got going on or any work within your community or anything you'd like for the listeners to know, sir? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, my, my, uh, where I got my master's and I got my doctorate from was North Central University. And okay. I currently serve uh, on the School of Businesses Professional Advisory Committee and as their military, military lead uh, for their diversity and inclusion of uh, military uh, affiliated individuals. Wow. Um, so I do that. I help out in that area. I, I helped launch uh, our community salutes, um, which recognizes seniors graduating from high school, going into the military for the community to give them their first thank you. Awesome. Uh, I, I also helped with uh, getting um, our school district to start a uh, military uh, leadership core class. Um, so they'll be piling that this year. And then again, as I said, um, a lot of things that I do for the Texas Veterans Commission. The city here at Maynard is now also Purple Heart. We have the first uh, regional uh, school district that's a Purple Heart uh, recognized as well. Wow. And uh, our city, which is a, a smaller city, uh, is also part of the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration with the VA, part of their uh, uh, crisis mapping for veterans and family members, suicide prevention efforts. Wow, wow, amazing, amazing work, amazing work. That's beautiful. And it's, I, I can see your whole career and, and now you serving in, in a role as mayor, uh, that you are someone who's always gonna do right by the people, but you're always gonna you know, push yourself to, to <laughs> learn and to grow more, not only, but not only for you, but for those around you. And I, I think that's really important that people, that they need to know that. You know, they really need to know that. Continue Wonderful. to improve the foxholes and what they taught us, right? That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, and, and that is continuous, right? Even when exactly. you want to sleep. 
<laughs> Excellent. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have been joined today by our very special guest, Dr. Larry Wallace, Mayor Larry Wallace, Mayor Dr. <laughs> Larry Wallace, author, accomplisher, uh, and servant leader. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Larry, thank you so much for being on the show today. Appreciate it. Thanks for the invite again. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Veterans and Academics. I'm your host, Dr. Luke McLeese. And until next time, take care. We thank all of you for listening. Veterans in Academics is an all-veteran production of Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank. Content creation is brought to you by Dr. Luke McLeese and Dr. Michael Bevers. Web development is by Osvaldo Vargas.